0: Our scripture reading for this morning is Psalm 73. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are and they are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten opposition. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongues strut through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know Then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream, when one awakes, O Lord, you arouse yourself. You despise them as phantoms. My soul was embittered when I was pricked in the heart. I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I continue with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom am I in heaven but you? And is there nothing on earth that I desire beside you? My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, and I will tell of all your works.
1: May God bless this reading of his word today. How old were you when you realized that the world is not fair? In 2007, a Nebraska state senator named Ernie Chambers made headlines when he filed a lawsuit in court Against God Himself. He really did this. He filed a lawsuit against God. You see, <clears throat> Chambers was seeking an injunction against the Lord God Almighty to keep him from further interfering in the world. Why would he do this? Well, when you read this suit, Chambers accused God of allowing harmful activities to happen that caused great harm to numerous people in the world your floods, plagues, what have you and that God allowed these to happen without mercy and without distinction. The lawsuit never went to trial, by the way, uh, primarily because the Nebraskan court couldn't find God's mailing address. That's true. But while the, the lawsuit was a ridiculous waste of time, I think that the, the question, the issue that Ernie Chambers raised is one that most all of us have struggled with from time to time. That's why, why, do, why do bad things happen to good people, Right? But it's not just that. I don't, I don't think it's just why a good God allows suffering to happen that sometimes causes us to, to really struggle in our, our spiritual life, but also why a good God allows prosperity to happen to truly evil people. Why a good God allows good things to happen to bad people. It hits us hard in our sense of justice and equity. It seems so unfair that sometimes it makes us spitting mad. So why does God allow good things to happen to bad people? I think it's an honest question that deserves an honest answer. At the onset of Psalm 73, the author here is suffering a crisis of faith because he's looking around at a broken, messed up world and he sees something that drives him absolutely bonkers. He sees arrogant, oppressive jerks enjoying great amounts of wealth and success. And that doesn't just rankle him. It doesn't just send him to Facebook to write one of those long, wordy posts uh, in the hopes that somebody else will like it. It actually causes the author here to slip and stumble in his faith. It causes him to slip in his faith. Have you ever felt that way after watching a news report about some rich and famous person? getting away with pushing others down to their own benefit. I felt that way in 2015 when I read this story, this news story about a guy named Martin Shkreli. And Martin Shkreli founded a pharmaceutical company, and then he acquired a life-saving drug called Daraprim. Daraprim had been used since 1953 to treat malaria, AIDS, and numerous other parasitic diseases. And realizing that he had a a monopoly on Daraprim, Shkreli decided that he would raise the price of a tablet from $13.50 to $750 overnight. That's like 64 times the cost of the tablet. People who desperately needed that life-saving drug suddenly had to make a choice. Uh, Maybe they couldn't afford it, or maybe they had to buy that or buy food that month. They couldn't buy both. And I wasn't alone in feeling absolutely outraged at that story. Everybody was calling for Martin Shkreli's head on a pike. So we can completely identify with the psalmist here. You see somebody like Shkreli and you find yourself waving your hands in the air to heaven and going, God, why are you letting this happen? If you're all about justice, why is this guy getting away with holding sick people hostage? It's enough to make a follower of God wonder why we're following him at all. When we see truly wicked people enjoying great health and wealth without an ounce of worry, it really jabs at our faith. When we see their powerful connections, their sycophantic supporters, their great pride, their lack of empathy, their violent natures, and attitudes that consider themselves above the law, we wonder Why don't we just give up following God and join the other side? They're they're getting all the good stuff. Why don't we just go join them over there? The psalmist at the beginning of Psalm 73 here is trying to live for God, but he starts to wonder if all this effort is pointless when all he does is keep running into hardship and struggle. And in all of this, he falls into sin himself. That slipping he talks about in the first couple verses there it's not merely a sense of outrage and injustice. He's actually slipping into the sin of envy and bitterness. As you read the first 15 verses of Psalm 73, you wouldn't be surprised if at the end of that, he just threw the towel in and walked away from his faith forever. The first thing we need to be aware of when we struggle with seeing good things happen to bad people in the world is that there's a great temptation to sin ourselves. Being confused is one thing. Asking God questions like why is one thing. That's okay to do. But it's far too easy to step over the line and open a door that allows all these sort of sinful emotions to brew inside of you. I remember back in 1995 when O.J. Simpson literally got away with murder. I'm sure a lot of you watched that court case. He used his celebrity status to gain favor with people and his great wealth to buy the best attorney he could find. And when they found him not guilty, I got so upset that God wasn't being fair here that he would allow an obvious murderer to walk away free. And I accused God of failing. And at that time, I sinned, just as the writer of Psalm 73 did here. The question for both the psalmist and us is this. Do we do right things to please God or do we do those things to get God to please us? Do we do the right things to please God or to get God to please us? The psalmist slipped in his faith because he figured that he was obeying God and that would get him all that wealth and health and status that he wanted. But that's not how God works. And when we discover that, it can be a real blow to a faulty faith. Our fingers can't press on God's scale to tip him over into our favor just by being nice to others, by going to church, and by buying pharmaceuticals and not driving up the price. If you've been trying to influence God, then realize God's not your genie in the bottle to give you what you think you deserve. Do the right thing to make God happy, not to try to get God to make you happy. Now, I love a great epiphany. It's what we call those light bulb moments. I always had teachers that said they're always looking for those light bulb moments in their students. That's when you come to a deep realization and you have that understanding click into place. My personal epiphanies tend to be small and silly. That the door I was really pushing hard on to open uh, was actually a pull door, epiphany. Uh, That reverse psychology actually does work on children under the age of five. Epiphany. And generic products are, in fact, as good as the name brand stuff, as long as you can get along without the colorful, bright packaging. Epiphany. So when I read Psalm 73, I get this mental image of the author taking a very long walk through the city of Jerusalem while venting out loud. You ever do that? You're just walking along, you're struggling with something, and maybe maybe you're kind of talking, and people around you are looking at you, giving a, a little bit of a weird look, like, what's that? Maybe, maybe I need to give that guy a little bit of social distancing today. Uh, I get that a lot, especially. But this guy's walking through the city. Maybe he's venting out loud. He doesn't understand why God allows good things to happen to bad people. In verse 16, he still says he's still deeply troubled by it. But then in verse 17, he turns the corner and he has an epiphany because he sees something that makes this whole problem click into place. And that something was the temple of Jerusalem, the sanctuary he talks about here. The author enters it, and as he's walking into the temple, he starts to see this issue through God's eyes rather than his own. You see, the first, whenever somebody would come into the temple, the very first thing that he or she would see is the great altar. There's this giant altar and then the wash basin. And it's here on the altar that the priests would take those innocent animals and then they would sacrifice them on behalf of the people as an atonement for their sin. And while the temple behind the altar was this beautiful, clean, majestic building, the altar itself was a space of nothing but blood and death. It was disgusting. It was a visual, sobering image that God would put in front of his people to remind them of what their sin created. Sin causes destruction and death. And for God's people, the only way that they could be absolved of their sin, the only way was for something innocent to die in their place. He's hammering in that object lesson. The wicked who thought that they were above any need for forgiveness never brought anything to the temple to be sacrificed. They never had that sacrificial lamb on the altar dying for their sin. And so the author looks at the sanctuary, and in verse 17, he says, Epiphany, I finally understand their final destiny, that God would cast them down to ruin in the end. The wicked had no substitute for their flagrant sins, so any prosperity that they were enjoying in the here and now would be temporary and fleeting, Like the author says, like a dream. It'll just be like a dream for a little bit, but then gone. You ever wake up and you you had a great dream, but you can't quite remember what it was? That's what their prosperity will be like. Coming into the presence of God, coming to worship God in the temple, helped to resolve this crisis of faith. What didn't make any sense before why God would allow wicked people to succeed was put into place. You see, if the choice is between a little bit of success of, oh, I'm sorry, a little bit of uh, success now and an eternity of ruin and a little bit of struggle now and an eternity of glory, the psalmist says, it's not even close. I'll choose the latter 10 times out of 10. Never forget that this world is, in fact, temporary. that success here doesn't mean what some people think. In the end, evil will be judged. It will slip away into darkness, and it's not going to be able to carry a bit of its accomplishments and wealth down there with it. For us in the here and now, I would like to encourage us who have this kind of crisis of faith in our lives to take a cue from the psalmist. You see, even when he's not sure what's going on, he's struggling, he's slipping in his faith, he's sinning, he doesn't understand. The first thing he does is he goes to worship. He goes to worship God. He makes a point of coming into God's presence. You see, sometimes we think we should only go to church when we've got it all figured out. We should only come to praise and pray God and open up the Bible when we're totally right with Him. I think the time to come to God is when we don't understand it all, when we are struggling, when we're hurting, when we're crying, when we have that crisis of faith. God invites us to worship with Him in His presence because it does put things into perspective. We stop seeing things through our eyes, we start seeing it through God's, and sometimes that's when those epiphanies happen, when things start really making sense. Well, speaking of prosperity and wealth, I'm hoping one day I'm gonna strike it rich, and the way I'm gonna do that is I'm gonna create a parent phrases bingo card. I've got it all mapped out. You're gonna have this bingo card that, that can be, you can play by following around any parent of a small child and then you cross off phrases that they say all the time like, don't put that in your mouth because I said so. That's why. Go ask your dad and close the door. Were you born in a barn? Mary and Joseph couldn't say that to, to Jesus, of course. But all the rest of the moms forever have been able to do that. But one phrase that I was forever saying to our kids when they were very small, and I was forever saying to them when we are out in public, was hold my hand. Take my hand. Hold my hand. My hand. It wasn't just because I really loved the feeling of their, that tiny grip in my big hand, although I did. It was because I could, first of all, I could guide them to where we were going, making sure that they were going along with me. But also, I had their hand because anytime they stumble, the little kids, they're forever falling over. We all know this. It's like gravity just has a very special relationship with toddlers and it's always calling, beckoning them to, to just fall at any moment. When you're holding their hand, they have that moment, you can lift them up. You can keep them from stumbling. There's this real pledge of trust between a child and their parents when the two of them hold hands. It's like the kid is saying, if I hold your hand, then you will keep me safe. You'll guide me. You'll lift me up. The psalmist ends up here in Psalm 73 having a double epiphany. And not only does he realize that the wicked people he at once envied were doomed from the start, But by verse 23, he realizes that even as he's conflicted, even as he's confused, God was holding his hand the entire way, every step of the way. The psalmist says this, You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into your glory. Step by step through life, God does not fail his beloved. He grabs their hand and he never lets go. He guides them through the trickier parts of life and ultimately takes us with him to glory in heaven. It's a simple, beautiful chain of salvation that Paul later echoed in Romans 8 when he writes, For those God foreknew, He also predestined. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. All of the wicked's health and prosperity that the psalmist envied in the earlier verses is just wiped away. And now the psalmist has this one single huge possession. The psalmist has God, and God is all the psalmist needs. The very first question, when I was a kid, I had to memorize the Westminster Catechism of Faith. It's a series of these questions and answers, uh, these classic questions and answers. And everybody seems to know the first one. The Great Confessional, the first question of the Westminster Catechism of Faith asks us, what is the chief end of man? What's our purpose? The answer to that was the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You see, all these questions and answers were drawn from the Bible, and so all of these answers have several verses that the, the writers of the Westminster Catechism would point to. But in the case of this first question, there's only one verse that they point to in the Bible. And that's Psalm 73, verse 25. When they say, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, they point to this verse where the psalmist writes, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire but you. By this point, the author lets his frustration and his anger go. You see this emotional, tonal shift by the end of the psalm. Because God is more than enough for him. He's gone on this journey from arrogance and envy to humility and joy, realizing that God patiently held on to him until grace prevailed and he repented. But that is not an easy journey for any of us to make. I'm not going to stand here and say that this, this should be an easy you know, 10 minutes and, and your past is crisis in your faith. When we start slipping in our own faith, because we feel the world is unfair, we're often more than content to just keep on slipping, keep on sliding into sin while we vent that anger toward God. But it's only when we turn to God in worship, when we place Him at the center of our thoughts, do we find this great assurance that the Lord's justice will prevail, that His grace works beyond justice to redeem those haughty souls, us, that He's chosen to be His. That's how the psalmist can end this song, pointing at the wonder and sufficiency of God rather than the perceived unfairness of the world. God is good enough for us. And I pray that you grasp this simple yet deep truth and you don't let it go even as God refuses to let you go. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, today... Just ask you, don't let us go. We need to feel that hand in our lives, that hand that reassures us that you're there, that you're holding us, you're guiding us, that you will redeem us and bring us back when we do inevitably sin against you. Lord, we need to be lifted up today. I know some people listening to this right now, some people in our congregation and in the world right now, man, they need to be lifted up so bad. They're hurting. They don't see the the justice, the fairness when people are suffering around them, when they might be suffering. Lord, we just pray that your hand, they would feel that hand lifting them up, that they would be able to come into your presence and praise you with humility and joy, knowing that you, Lord, you are all we need. In your name, amen. I want to thank you for worshiping with us today, and we want to remind you to go to knoxepc.com to receive all the rest of the news and um, ways that you can uh, stay in touch with us here at the church as we worship together and we pray together and as we just bond together through this experience right now. We look forward to the day that we can all be back together here in this sanctuary praising God and just celebrating that he pulled us through this. But for right now, we rest in the sufficiency and the guidance of our great God. Please receive the benediction. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May He turn His face toward you and give you peace. Go in peace.